So as we approach the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation and the 125th anniversary of Kenilworth Union Church, Joe and Katie and I are preaching this sermon series called Stained Glass. And our conceit, of course, is that the global church is a mosaic. It's made up of many little pieces. And if any piece is missing, we'd have a gap-toothed smile. So you'll notice that in the nave, on this side of the nave, these are denominational windows. This is a Methodist window, Baptist window, Lutheran window, congregational window. This is the Presbyterian window here. These are two pioneering American Presbyterians. Francis McKemmy planted the first Presbyterian congregations in the United States on riverbanks in the eastern shore of Maryland on the Delmarva Peninsula. He put the churches right on the riverbanks so the farmers could come in their boats and park their boats in the, in the front yard. He was one of the first church growth experts who recognized the importance of parking. And William Tennant, uh, was a, both of these guys were from Scotland and Ireland. They came to the colonies. Um, William Tennant, to just outside of Philadelphia in Bucks County, PA, he founded the Log College of New Jersey uh, later became the College of New Jersey, and then later still Princeton University. This was for the purpose of uh, training Presbyterian ministers in the New World. And so I'm preaching a sermon series today called Why I'm a Presbyterian. Next week, Katie's going to preach a sermon called Why We Should All Be Congregationalists, and so on and so forth. So here's a quintessential Presbyterian text from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 14. The church at Corinth was a famously bickering and cantankerous congregation. They were always fighting with each other, and Paul is always trying to damp down these um, embers of, of dispute that's going on there. And here in chapter 14, they're fighting about glossolalia. Have you ever been to a church where they speak in tongues? That's what Paul's talking about here. And Presbyterians have kind of adopted this text as their own. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts especially for the gift of prophecy. For those who speak in a tongue don't speak to other people, but only to God. For nobody understands them, since they're speaking in the mysteries of the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their building up and encouragement and consolation. So with yourselves, if in a tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what you've said? For you'll be speaking into the air. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. So what should I do then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind too. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind as well. Brothers and sisters, don't be children in your thinking. Rather, be babies in evil. But in thinking, be adults and do everything decently and in order. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My son, my firstborn, was predestined to attend the University of Michigan. His mother graduated from there. His grandfather graduated from Michigan at birth. He came home from the hospital in a maize and blue onesie, and he's never worn any other color scheme since it was inevitable. It was predestined. However, this did not stop Kathy and me from conducting a thorough search for just the right 
school for my firstborn son. And so we looked in every corner of the country. In the spring break of my son's junior year in high school, I took Taylor and Michael on a tour of the South. And so we visited uh, the University of Richmond, the University of North Carolina, Duke, Elan, Wake Forest, and Davidson. So you'll notice that all but the University of North Carolina, all of these schools were founded by churches. There's a Presbyterian school, a Methodist school, a Congregational school, and two Baptist schools. And of these five uh, schools founded by churches, all but one have severed their ties with the mother church. And after you've been through a couple of these college tours, you understand that the admissions department has instructed the campus guides to disown instantly and passionately any current denominational affiliations. They trip all over themselves disowning their Baptist or Methodist foundings. And my kids and I made a game of betting which school could do this quickest and loudest. And they even poke gentle fun at their religious origins, right? The mascot at Wake Forest, originally a Baptist school, is the demon deacon. And Duke, originally a Methodist school, the mascot there is the blue devil. Now they're all proud of their chapels. In fact, at Duke, by charter, no building on campus can be higher than the spire of the chapel. But I am told that the next highest place on campus is occupied by Mike Chachevsky, Coach K. God, Coach K, president of the university. And oh, by the way, of those five schools founded by churches, the only one that's still proud of its religious foundings is the Presbyterian School, Davidson. Now, I think this flight from denominational affiliation is mostly a good thing on campus and in the church. Even churches are disowning their denominational affiliations. In Connecticut, one of the largest Protestant congregations in the state was Valley Community Baptist Church near Hartford, but it's not Valley Community Baptist Church any longer. It's Valley Community Church because that Baptist title was exclusionary. It was sectarian. It discouraged visitors. So I think the practice of fractious American denominationalism is rightly and properly coming to a conclusion. That's not going to stop me, though, from telling you why it might be a good thing to be Christian in a Presbyterian way and with Presbyterian style. A couple of good reasons to be, a couple of reasons I'm Presbyterian. There's the character reason. That is to say, it's both fun and instructive to think about how a particular Christian tradition shapes character and virtue, right? So, after 50 years of attending Catholic Mass, what virtue and character is created by that lifetime? After 50 years of listening to Presbyterian, long Presbyterian sermons, what person do you become? After 50 years of praying with the Book of Common Prayer, what does a specifically Episcopalian spirituality look like? So, here are some famous Presbyterian characters. See what you think. Abraham Lincoln, Woodrow Wilson, son of a Presbyterian pastor, Jimmy Stewart, Neil Armstrong, John Glenn, Mr. Rogers, a Presbyterian preacher, Ronald Reagan, and Madeline Murray O'Hare. 
I don't know what, wrong, what went wrong with that last one. So there's the character reason. There's also the political reason. I'm a Presbyterian in the first place because of the Presbyterian style of shared leadership and decision-making, right? The political reason is so important to Presbyterians that that's how we name ourselves. Do you know what the word presbyter means? Presbyter is a Greek word that appears 70 times in the New Testament. It simply means elders. And elders are to the Presbyterian Church what trustees are to Kenilworth Union. So they're so important to us that that's how we call ourselves. By the way, here's a, 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 a clue to help you remember what the word presbyter means. The word presbyter is a close cousin to the word presbyopia. Presbyopia means old eyes. Presby, old opia, eyes. And if you're too young to know what presbyopia is, you will find out shortly after your 43rd birthday <laughs> when you come to church and find out that your arms are too short to read the hymnal. And so this is what keeps Walgreens in business because we have to buy these reading glasses that we keep losing over and over again. So I love the Presbyterian way of decision-making. I, I love the flat hierarchy. No popes, no cardinals, no archbishops, no bishops, no priests, just elders, just the likes of you and I. I love the fact that we all get to decide who decides. I love that if you're an American, you know instinctively how Presbyterians shape their government. Because a session, a session is what Presbyterians call their board of trustees, a session is just Congress writ small, and the Federal Congress is just a session transposed from the ecclesiastical into the federal key. Now, you'll point out to me, rightly, fairly, that Madison and Jefferson were Episcopalians, but the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are crammed with Presbyterian principles. That's how they created the whole thing. They watched the Presbyterians. Now, this is a dubious gift. I, I'm not sure whether I want to take credit or blame for this. You've heard the pointed question, right? If pro is the opposite of con, what is the opposite of progress? I'll let you think about that for a minute. <laughs> and so you understand that Kelvin came up with this concept, this flat hierarchy, this shared decision-making because of his grim anthropology. Not to put too fine a point on it, Kelvin thought that most human beings were pretty shabby. And so none of us, he said, not even the best of us, are good enough to make decisions for the rest of us. And so we share this decision-making. And so if one person runs amok, as kings and popes are wont to do, if one person runs amok, there's another one with equivalent authority who says, now wait just a minute, buster. Not so fast. And so Kelvin was convinced that many of us make better decisions together than any one of us can by herself or himself. And that's how Kelvin got from Roman bishops and French kings to Presbyterian sessions and federal congresses. So I'm Presbyterian because of the political reason. I'm also Presbyterian because of the Intellectual reason? I love this 400-year-old, solid, reliable commitment to the stewardship of the mind. I love the fact that next week when Katie preaches her sermon, it will be grounded in Scripture and backed up by a solid, rational case. 
Now, this is not always a good thing, right? Uh, it makes us a little bit dry and flat and boring. H.L. Mencken once observed that the chief contribution of Protestantism to human thought is the overwhelming evidence that God is a bore. But still, don't you think that Paul, beneath it all, in his heart of hearts, was a Presbyterian? He writes this letter to this bickering, cantankerous church at Corinth because they were arguing, in this case, about glossolalia, about speaking in tongues, about speaking in the ecstasy of the Spirit in a language that doesn't make sense to anyone. And in this Corinthian congregation, the people who had this gift of glossolalia, of speaking in tongues, were looking down on the quieter, more contemplative Christians because, they said, these quiet Christians were missing the boat. They were lacking the gift of the Spirit. And so Paul writes to them, I will sing with the Spirit, but I will sing with the mind too. I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with the mind too. I'd rather speak five words in church that make sense than 10,000 that don't mean a thing. That's a very Presbyterian thing to say. We try to make sense. In this church, I'm proud to say, and in Presbyterian churches, there's no brain check room in the narthex where you leave your thinking apparatus before you come into worship. A few years ago, someone wrote a book with an extravagant title. The book was entitled, How the Scots Invented the Modern World, The True Story of How Western Europe's Poorest Nation Created Our World and everything in it. Now that's an extravagant title. But here's what he means. This is what the modern world owes the Scots. Insulin, penicillin, David Hume, Glenn Fittich, television, Adam Smith, golf, James Clerk Maxwell, cloning, Encyclopedia Britannica, Tony Blair, and Hamish Forrest. You know how the Scots did this? Some people say it's because the weather's so bad that what are you going to do but read and study, right? Others said that uh, the Scots were so creative because Scotland has no natural resources, so you've got to know a lot or you're going to starve. But in fact, the Scots invented the modern world because they were Presbyterians. John Knox created modern Scotland. And in his youth, he went on a scouting trip to Calvin's Geneva, which he came back to Scotland reporting was the most perfect school of Christianity in the history of the church. And when he got back to Scotland, the first thing he did was plant all these schools open to everybody so that every last Scot could read the Bible. And that's why even today, Scotland, not one of the richest countries in Western Europe, spends more on education than anyone else in Western Europe. That's how the Scots invented the modern world. So the character reason, political reason, intellectual reason, one last reason, and I'll be quick, promise I'm almost done. The God reason. That is to say, I'm enamored with Calvin's large, uncompromising, unfailing commitment to the idea of a majestic God. Calvin didn't invent this idea. This, this idea goes back to Moses and Abraham 3,000 years ago. But it was Calvin who said over and over and over again, this 
All of it. Nature, history, Rome, the church, the United States of America, Geneva, the Taj Mahal, Kilimanjaro, the Grand Canyon, the globe, the universe, 46 billion light years across. All of it is, said Calvin, the theater of God's glory. And you can see how a person committed to this idea of a huge, majestic God cannot be for sale. Right? It relativizes all subordinate loyalties. Presbyterians give so much glory to God, there's not any glory left over for anybody else. And this is a good thing. Someone said of the early Calvinists that they feared God so much they could never fear any human being. And you can see why this builds virtue and character. It means we are not for sale. It bequeaths an unassailable integrity if it's practiced in the right way. Calvin just would have scoffed at the naked jingoism Americans are wrangling about just now. Just would have been disgusted by that. So, do you think of Elijah Parrish Lovejoy, the Presbyterian preacher from Alton, Illinois, whose abolitionist presses started the Civil War? Do you think of Abraham Lincoln with his Emancipation Proclamation, the most distasteful and reviled mandate ever passed down upon a reluctant republic? Do you think of Karl Barth? who sent his dangerously subversive Barman Declaration to Hitler's headquarters, we reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would acknowledge any earthly Fuhrer alongside Jesus Christ. What's the chief end of humankind? Asks the old catechism. And the Sunday school student responds, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. The chief end of our existence, the reason we're here, is to glorify a glorious God and to have a blast doing it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.